Hello. <laughs> um, I'll be doing today's uh, scripture reading. It's from the book of Mark 7, verses 1 through 13. If you have your Bible apps, please open them. Uh, if you have your paper Bibles, the three of you, please open it. Um, if you don't have either, uh, we'll have the reading on both screens to my left and to my right. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. That the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands to a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it was written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have to let go of the commands of God. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your fa father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. This is the word of God. What's going on, y'all? Uh, Happy New Year for those of you who I haven't seen since uh, the clock has struck 2016. Uh, so every January, I have this uh, thing that I do. I, I go through uh, the year in, uh, that, was, that just happened, and I start to take a really hard look at how I did in 2015. So I looked uh, at, my, at my savings account, or uh, for lack thereof, what, what I wish was in there, and I, I make a hard look in the mirror, and I say, how did I do in 2015 with my savings. I look at that gym membership and how much it was hitting my account for an automatic withdrawal. And I, and I look about how many times did I actually go to the gym and take a hard look in the mirror and think, man, am I really getting out of this gym membership what I'm putting into it? Not only that, but I look at my relationships with my friends, uh, the people that I think are closest to me, my family members, uh, and I think, am I working too much? Uh, have I worked too much or did I really meaningfully invest in the people that I love and that love me. And then I look at uh, basically my spiritual life. Uh, how did I grow in 2015? Did I do the things that I said were really important? And here's what I've discovered about me, and you might have discovered this about yourself. It's really hard for me to keep the important things in my life actually important. It, it's, really diff it's really hard for me to keep that, those things which I know are important, important in my life. Now, I don't have any problem identifying what's important. I know it's important to eat right. I know it's important to go to the gym. I know it's important to save. I know it's important to give. I know it's important I know that some of you may have all important to invest in family and friends. But I have this unique skill that some of you may have also is I have a really difficult time actually doing those things that I say are important. 
Now, I don't think I'm alone. As a matter of fact, I know that I'm not alone. Uh, the Apostle Paul, a great writer, uh, the guy who actually wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, Paul is in the same boat with me. Um, uh, he says it like this in Romans uh, 7, 15, 18, and 19. He says, yo, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do that. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I do, for I do not the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, what is it for you in your life that you wish uh, you did more of, uh, that you wish you did, that you know is important, that you've identified, that you agree with, that this is an important thing in my life, but for whatever reason, you just don't do it? Now, Paul argues something in this chapter that uh, I really happen to agree with, uh, that you and I aren't born as perfect people, uh, that one day when you were six years old, something along the way corrupted you and you were no longer a perfect being. But Paul actually argues uh, that you and I were born with a sinful nature, that it is in our nature uh, to go left, to sneer, and to drift away from the things of God. In the same way that it is in my nature uh, to have fresh sneakers every Sunday. It's, it's in, it's not going away. It is in my nature to have it. Paul argues that we all have a sinful nature, and, and sin is a tough word, especially if you're new to church or you're coming back to church. Uh, that word might have been used to beat you over the head for one reason or another, but it's actually a really good word because it means missing the mark. Basically, Paul is saying this. None of us were born perfect. We were all born with this natural tendency, this natural gift, this natural ability to veer and to miss the mark. Now, one of the most striking evidences of our sinful nature uh, lies in our tendency to drift. Uh, in other words, as we mentioned last week uh, in our message on, on, on growth, that it takes thought and determination and energy and intentional effort to bring about growth uh, in every single area of your life. And whenever we don't give things intention and effort and uh, 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 all of the intentional things that are required, uh, it doesn't end up getting better. So we have this natural tendency to drift away from things. And if you want your body shape to drift if you want your relationships to drift, all you have to do is do nothing. That unless you do something, unless you actually do the things that are required to grow, to maintain your relationships, to grow in your relationships, to, to grow academically or at work or at school, in any area in your life, and particularly as we'll see today, especially with God, that all you have to do, and all you have to do in order to drift is to do nothing. Now, people don't drift towards growth or change. You won't trip and fall into an amazing spiritual life. You won't trip and fall into, uh, you know, 20 years from now, like, man, I don't even know how I got here. One day I was doing nothing, and all of a sudden, 20 years later, look at me, everybody. Right? We will never drift towards growth. We will never drift towards change. Uh, one of the favorite websites that I go on almost every single day, the Gospel Coalition, I read articles and blogs. Uh, and devotions uh, from this website almost daily, and if you read it enough, you'll see where some of my sermon material comes from. <laughs> uh, but the Gospel Coalition had a great quote that instead of paraphrasing it and pretending it was mine, I figured I'd just quote it and give you guys the real, the real deal. It says, we drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We drift toward a lack of discipline and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We drift towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Now, here's the only way that I know 
uh, how to keep from drifting. I've been a Christian for about 16 years, uh, and I've had high times, low times, and everything in between. I've had times where I've been growing, and I have time, I've had times where I was drifting away. And here's the only way that I know personally how to grow. Uh, and, and all of the conversations I've had with people that have grown spiritually, and all the people that have been stuck in one place or another, here's what I found, uh, that the only way to keep you from drifting, the only way for me to keep from drifting is a daily uh, life-giving habit of reading Scripture. Now, as difficult as that is for a thousand different reasons, uh, whether you have issues with the Bible, or the Bible you feel is outdated and old, and, and all these different things that uh, our culture says about Scripture, regardless of all of these accusations, and we're going to see what, what Jesus' view of Scripture is in a little bit, listen, the only way I know how to keep from drifting, the only way that you should ever be able to keep yourself from drifting towards all of the things that we want to stay away from is a daily habit of reading Scripture. Now, here's my hope for us in these next four weeks as we're in this series, uh, The Words of Life, that, listen, no matter where you are, whether you're brand new to church or you're brand new coming back to church after years of frustration and disappointment, uh, and whether or not you have a PhD in theology or whether or not uh, if you call Malachi Malachi, it doesn't matter where you are. <laughs> my goal for all of no matter where you are on the spectrum. My hope and my goal for all of us is that you would take that next step, right? And as we mentioned last week, this, the stuff that we're talking about is gradual. It is gradual. It is gradual. It is gradual. It is gradual. You will not be a master in a couple of weeks. You will not be amazing in six months. But listen, give it the time. And my hope is that this would, over these next four weeks, as we do some, some hard looks at Scripture and its role in our lives, that you and I would take that next step uh, personally. And from that, it would keep us from drifting. Now, this isn't an optional thing for us. Uh, if you came to church and say, you know what? I love coming to church. I love listening to the worship music. I love prayer. But you know what? I don't know that I'm going to follow this guy uh, on what he's talking about in terms of reading scripture. Uh, you know, I, I'm better off with that. I'll listen to the sermons, but that's about all you'll get out of me. Uh, this is not an optional thing. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That Red Lobster's biscuits, as delicious as they are, right, and they are very delicious, there's a limit to even what carbs could do for you. That uh, the nourishment that we take for our bodies, actual food, there's a limit on what that can do for you. In the same way, in the same way, especially if anybody who's doing some cleansing right now and you're going low carb for a couple of days and you're, you got the hang, yeah, there you go. <laughs> And you're feeling the pain of what it looks like to live without carbs. Listen, our, our souls, your soul, cannot flourish. Our souls cannot keep from drifting without a steady diet of a scripture reading in our lives. Now, I think it would be wise as we embark on this journey together that we get Jesus' perspective of Scripture. And I actually think that it's wildly different than what you may have come in here thinking it was for today. Now, Jesus says a few things about Scripture that Lawrence just read from, uh, from Mark 7, and um, we come to a place where Jesus is talking about his view of Scripture, and there's a couple of things that I want to point out from, from Mark 7 that I think are really going to help us and free us in some ways and also inspire us uh, to give us a life where we can spend it, uh, spending time actually investing in learning to read Scripture. And the first thing that we're going to see in the Scripture, and the one that I want you guys to get from the outset is this. Our souls need more than what other people can give us. We need the direct thoughts of God. That my soul and your soul requires more than what other people can give us. 
You need, and I need, the direct thoughts of God. And here's uh, uh, some truth that we're going to get to, or a claim that I'm going to unpack in a second. People spend a lot of time, and those direct thoughts of God are actually the words of Scripture. And next week, we'll spend a lot of time answering a lot of objections that people have to Scripture, so come back for that. Uh, but Jesus says that the words, and the, the words that found in this Bible are actually the thoughts of God, and that your soul and my soul requires more than what other people can give us. Our souls require the direct thoughts of God himself. Now, have you ever noticed, and, and you might be in this spot right now, have you ever noticed uh, a time where uh, what your parents or your coworkers or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your spouse or, or your grandfather or a really wise person at your job or a hero or anybody else, a mentor, uh, that their words were not enough, that you needed what you needed, whether it was encouragement or correction, or um, direction, uh, uh, wisdom to make a decision about a job, or a career, or a location, or a person, that in these moments you needed more than what, a other what another human being can give you. You needed the direct thoughts of God himself. See, and in those moments we find ourselves praying, we find ourselves approaching scripture with a more critical lens, but listen, it is not just in those moments. God has worked it so that your soul uh, that my soul requires more than other people can give us. Uh, and we see this so much here in Mark 7. So I want to dig into this a little bit. Um, so Jesus in Mark 7, he's talking to a bunch of Pharisees. And Pharisees were really respected, very smart, very diligent people of their day. Now, when you read the scripture right now, and if you think about Pharisees, depending if you're new, um, you might have a lot of different reactions to the word Pharisee, right? Uh, it sounds like a really outdated word. Uh, it sounds like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but Pharisees, uh, I know when I normally think of them, I think about people who were always getting it wrong, right? Uh, but Jesus' original audience would not have heard Pharisees that way. The Pharisees were the gold standard of wisdom, of godliness, and the accepted practices of what you needed to do to be right with God, right? So even if you read them now as people who were like religious nuts and all sort of stuff, when Jesus was talking to them then, they were the religious authority of that day. And here's what Jesus is saying. The religious authority, uh, whoever you think is the wisest person, whoever you think is the most acceptable person, whoever you think is closest to God, whoever you think is really smart and wise, uh, all of that stuff is okay. But listen, you need more than even what they can give you. So Jesus is arguing with them about uh, uh, something called washing of hands, ceremonial cleansing. And the, and the Pharisees were like, yo, Jesus, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And for German, all the germaphobes out there, you kind of like, yo, Jesus is kind of bugging a little bit, right? <laughs> uh, but they were taking it more than just like actual cleanliness. Uh, for them, it was something much, much bigger than that. Um, ceremonial cleansing for them was a concept of, listen, um, this is how you are to come to God. And this is how you have to approach God. And if you want God to be pleased with you, you have to do all of these ceremonial cleansings. So over and over and over again, uh, they had this good concept of coming to God in the right way, and they just added like a thousand laws on top of it. If you came into contact uh, with a woman, got to wash your hands. If you came into contact with somebody who wasn't Jewish, got to wash your hands. You come into contact with a Patriots fan, cut your hands off. <laughs> just cut them off completely. Don't shake their hand. But over and over and over again, uh, the Pharisees has added law after law after law after law on top of all these different things. And Jesus gets really angry in, in this scripture, um, and he tells them, he gives them some really, really hard uh, truths. 
Uh, he gives them some really hard truths, and, and verse 7 sums it up, uh, Jesus' claims against them. He says, listen, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to the traditions of men. See, they, they drifted away. They drifted away from the commands of God, from the teachings of God, and they were holding to their own traditions. And here's why Jesus was so angry with them. Here's why you see Jesus using some pretty stinging language uh, he talks about in verse 6. He says, hey, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written. And here's why Jesus' tongue is so sharp with them, because he knows that our souls require more than what other people can give us. And the weight of other people's words about God are insufficient, that we need the direct thoughts of God himself. Uh, Jesus wasn't against tradition, all traditions. It's good to eat yams on Thanksgiving. They're delicious, all right? Keep eating your yams on Thanksgiving. Some traditions are good. It's good for us to meet weekly at a certain time in a certain place, right? If we just said every Sunday we're going to meet at a different time in a different place, check Twitter and figure it out. Like, that would be chaos. It would be terrible. Traditions in and of themselves are not bad. But listen, when we hold to other things and we give them equal authority in our lives of the very thoughts and the words of God himself, listen, you and I have the tendency, and you might be noticing it in your life right now, you might have noticed it after you look back on 2015, that you and I have this tendency to drift away, and the easiest way that I know to keep from drifting, uh, and a surefire way to keep us from drifting is to be immersed in a thought work with. Now, some of us have drifted uh, at work where some, maybe when you first got there, there's some things you said you would never do, and, and now you're kind of like, oh, well, I, I can do that now. You're, you're drifting. Some of you guys have drifted in your relationships, and uh, you're crossing boundaries that were meant for married people, and you're doing it now. And listen, you're, you're drifting away from God because you've let the, the thoughts of society, oh, this is what everybody does. This is what everybody gets into. Listen, 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 listen. Our souls require more than what other people can, will say is acceptable. Our souls require more than what other people say is okay, than what culture deems to be appropriate. Our souls require the direct thoughts of God himself. And we can't hold on to anything else. Uh, we can't give anything else the weight that we would give God in his, in his life because all of us need to be led by something that is not us. And you and I have to, uh, the only way that I know, listen, the best way that I know is to submit our lives daily uh, to a life where we are engaged in Scripture. Now, I am super excited about um, January 30th. It's the first time we're doing a class here at Renaissance um, on how to read the Bible. And one of the good objections that we've heard over this last year from you guys, and we listen to all of the really good feedback that you guys give us, is that, hey, yes, I want to read the Bible more, but you know what? I don't know how. And that's a great place to start. That's a fantastic place to start. Listen, if I were you, I would rearrange my calendar to be here on January 30th. I would make sure that I didn't have a brunch plan in Brooklyn uh, scheduled that day. Nobody wants to go to Brooklyn anyway, right? It's too far. <laughs> the C train is terrible on the weekends. You don't want to do that. Listen, I, I would rearrange. I would make every single effort uh, to make sure that I know that I'm equipped how to read Scripture in my life. And listen, even if you've been a Christian for like 20 years, you could just pretend that you're there to help. Like you could pretend that you're there to help other people. Just show up. Just show up and make sure you're there so you can get uh, in, into that rhythm. Because I don't want anybody, listen, I don't want any of you guys drifting away this year. I don't want anybody drifting away uh, and, and not growing in your faith. And listen, we're not going to grow because our souls require more than what other people can give us. 
We need the direct thoughts of God himself. Now, the second thing we see in the scripture from Jesus uh, and his view of scripture is that we have to not only, uh, uh, not only do we need it, but we also have to understand its purpose. Uh, years ago when I was a kid, uh, you know, growing up with older brother, with older brother and older cousins, like I was watching movies that like, I was like five watching like the Night of the Living Dead and like all these rated R movies like at seven years old. So I would get nightmares from time to time. And I remember whenever I would watch like a really crazy movie, I would grab my Bible. Like a, I had like this Bible with a lamb in the front and like <laughs> Jesus and the multicolored cover and all this other stuff. And the way I knew how to do it, I was like, listen, I don't want to get any nightmares. So I would grab my Bible and put it in my pillowcase. You can't just put it under the pillow. <laughs> you just slip it in the pillowcase and then you won't get nightmares. That's how it worked. And I prayed. I said, God, please don't let me get nightmares tonight. I got the Bible. I opened it up to the Gospels, and I'm like sleeping on, <laughs> sleeping on, on that. And guess what? It worked. I didn't get any nightmares that night. But in order to grow from having Scripture in our life, uh, although that's a, it's not a bad start to sleep with the, with the Bible on your pillow, hey, that's not what the Bible is intended for. That might shock you. Uh, that is not the exclusive purpose of, of Scripture. Uh, we have to, in order to grow from it, in order to keep us from drifting, we have to understand its purpose, right? Because a lot of us have thrown that baby out with the bathwater uh, of reading the Bible uh, because we said to ourselves, listen, this doesn't make any sense. I don't, re- I don't get it. I don't understand it. And we've thrown it away. This is not for me. And we've discarded it. And even others of us who would never be big and bold enough to say that, uh, we didn't say that it doesn't matter to us, but we don't read it. Our actions don't line up with our uh, alleged thoughts about Scripture. Listen, I'm preaching to myself here. Uh, I have to read a lot of Bible to prepare sermons, uh, but the not checking the box devotional reading for Jordan Rice is a struggle. Now, a lot of us, I think it's because um, we don't understand its purpose. And here's what Jesus says about that, um, a really stinging uh, critique of the Pharisees. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Now, here's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, He's quoting from Isaiah 29. He's saying, listen, the purpose of Scripture is not formal compliance. The purpose of Scripture is not to turn you into a robot. The purpose of Scripture is to not make you walk along a straight and narrow line, terrified to go to the left or to the right. That is not the purpose of Scripture. What Jesus is saying is the purpose of Scripture is this. He wants your heart. He wants your heart to be beating close to his heart. And that is it. The purpose of scripture reading, the purpose of what we do here at Renaissance, the purpose of everything, listen, the purpose of everything so that your worship, that all of your spiritual activity will not be in vain so that your heart will grow closer to the heart of God. Think about that for a second. How terrible of an endorsement or critique would that be about your spiritual life if Jesus says, listen, yo, all of your spiritual activity was in vain. All of the things that you did, all of the books that you've read, all of the places that you went, all of the time that you sacrificed, all of that was in vain. And here's why he said it was in vain for this group of people, and I don't want that to be said for me, and I certainly don't want that to be said for you, that it was in vain because all they were doing was holding on to traditions and that their hearts weren't actually growing closer to my heart. Their hearts weren't growing in gratitude. Their hearts weren't growing in, uh, in love with God. I'm going to look at that for a second. That the purpose of all of this obedience, the purpose of reading Scripture, so that our hearts will grow closer to the heart of God. Now, uh, this is a great example, I think. Um, when I first met my 
uh, met my wife, uh, one of the first things I did was read everything I, I can find about her. And by read, I mean stalk her Facebook page. <laughs> right? To see what type of sense of humor she had, to see what she laughed at and what she didn't laugh at. Uh, and listen, I, I did a lot of research about her because ultimately, I wanted to win her heart. Now, all of the things that I read, I read her blog. I spent one day reading her entire blog for like three hours um, and, and just trying to find out who she was because it's impossible to win somebody's heart if you don't know anything about them. Now, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours researching that, you know, she was a foodie. So I was like, great. I went online and did Yelp reviews and I, and I found like <laughs> for her 30th birthday, you know, <clears throat> years ago, I... <laughs> I did, I did so much research to find out what her favorite, you know, type of cuisine was, and I found it. I found this really expensive restaurant that I couldn't afford, and I took her there for her birthday, and we went. And listen, all of this formal compliance, all of this reading was all set towards winning her heart. Now, what good would it be if I got to the dinner and was like, yo, yeah, you know, I, I found this spot online. Here you go. Slid a plate across the table like, yeah, you should like it. <laughs> or I got there and I said, hey, I've done all of these things. Now you have to love me. Now, I, I, re, I get on Yelp, I, you know, I drain my iPhone battery looking stuff for you. I did all of these things, now you have to love me. You would say, that's ridiculous, it doesn't work like that. Listen, God wants our pursuit of him in Scripture to not be about formal compliance. The end goal, the end goal of you reading Scripture is not growing so that you can uh, uh, learn more Scriptures and argue with somebody on a subway. That's not the end goal at all. The end goal is that your heart would be closer to God's heart. And you want to know the best way in life to have a more, um, for lack of a better word, obedient walk uh, is to grow in love with God. Now, let me, let me before we get to this next last point, uh, one of the ways that I found, and this is free marital advice for anybody who's married or wants to be married, uh, out of all the couples I've counseled and talked to and, and dealt with, uh, many of which are coming back from adultery or real fracture and, and, and um, traumatic events in their marriage, uh, what I've seen consistently throughout every single account is that these two people, way before any act activity happened, well before anything happened, anything entered into their marriage, way before any of that happened, these two people stopped learning about each other, and their hearts weren't growing closer together, they were growing apart. And if you want to find a marriage that is adultery-proof, I will point to two people whose hearts are growing closer and closer together. And then when Halle Berry comes in the picture, he'll be able to say, nah, no thanks. Not because uh, he, he wants to formally comply with a list or a rule, because his heart has been uh, uh, grafted, is growing closer and closer to her heart. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, the worst thing that you can be is to have a list of formal compliance, but your heart isn't growing closer to the heart of the Father. We have to understand his purpose. And, and the last thing that we see in the scripture is to grow to love the person at its center. And uh, we're going to get to a lot of this stuff. Um, this stuff is... Um, some of the stuff, we're just barely scratching the surface. We're going to get through more of it in this series, certainly on January 30th. Uh, but how we are to grow to love the person at the center of Scripture. Now, one of the biggest objections that people have is that you read Scripture and you don't understand it, or uh, you read it and it actually doesn't really inspire you. Uh, you read it, and I think it's because a lot of us aren't really reading uh, Scripture the, the right way. Um, and one of the things that I've seen uh, is that we... Uh, 
read scripture or we get into it and it actually starts to crush us and it makes us feel bad about stuff that we're doing or, or, or not doing, but it doesn't inspire us, so we kind of just cut it, cut it off. But Jesus tells us something about scripture that I, I want to highlight for us right now. He says it in the book of Acts. Um, it says, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, uh, when he was talking to his disciples, he said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And this is the part that I want you guys to get. Then he opened up their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. This is what Jesus is saying. All of scripture, all of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, all of these books, all the prophets, right? All of the books, the Psalms, all of these books were written about me. That everything in all of scripture is pointing not uh, uh, to an understanding, but to a person, that all of Scripture, that before uh, the world was created, God had it planned that Jesus with Christ would come into this world. And the reading of Scripture is pointing to the triumphal entry of Jesus the Christ. And listen, the point of reading Bible, the point of reading Scripture and growing and why we need it so much so is not to, to memorize things, although Scripture memorization has an amazing place in our life, but it's to grow in love with the person at the center of history. Now, one of the most amazing statistics about Jesus is the fact, uh, just what year it is right now, 2016. It's not 2016. I mean, cultures have been counting years for thousands and thousands of years before Jesus entered. And that time in history stopped. Everything is dependent. Our calendar is dependent on whether or not Jesus Christ came into this world 2016 years ago. And the point of Scripture reading, the Psalms, the law, all of this stuff is for you to grow in love with the person at the center. And let me give you guys a couple of quick examples how to do that. And we're going to get to a lot of the stuff on January 30th in our Bible reading class. Right, so the story of Joseph, for example, uh, if you guys are uh, familiar with the story of Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Um, he was, uh, story in Genesis, and he, was, he had some brothers who were haters. Uh, Joseph had a dream about um, him, um, you know, his brothers bowing down to him, and his brothers got mad. And they sold him into slavery. And after he was sold into slavery, uh, instead of dying like they thought he was, um, he actually was really successful. He rose up to be the prime minister of Egypt, and he's sitting at the right hand of the king. And when his brothers, when his brothers who betrayed him and sold him into slavery, come to the man that's sitting on the right hand of the king, instead of giving them what they deserved, he gave them grace. Instead of giving them payback for selling him into slavery, instead of giving them all one good, swift kick in the pants, he welcomed them and he redeemed them. Now, if you read scripture like this, like, man, I got to be like Joseph. When somebody talks about me, when somebody ruins my reputation, when somebody hurts me, when somebody tries to harm me, I got to forgive just like Joseph forgave. That is a weight that will crush you. Instead, if you see scripture, all of scripture pointing to Jesus, you realize that actually uh, there was one and better Joseph that was sold uh, uh, into this world, into slavery, by the actions of his brothers. And that not just at the, uh, at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. He lost it for you and, and, and for me. And that the people who turned our backs on him, the ones who deserved uh, uh, anything but grace, we get it in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is the true and the better Joseph. He comes, and even though uh, we disregarded him and counted him as insignificant, he comes and he redeems us. See, that's the type of story that gives you hope when you're feeling insignificant and when you're feeling low. 
That's the type of story that gives your heart joy and makes you feel important and significant even when you feel condemned because you haven't gotten it all right. It's a story that tells you that, listen, even though you messed up, there is one whose grace never ends, and he pours it out on you, even though you don't deserve it. See, that's a story to keep you going. There's another story that I heard this week, uh, this past Thursday, uh, this thing called City Lab. It's a place where a bunch of uh, pastors and, and ministry people come in, in the city. Uh, a pastor named Tim Keller came and told the story of Esther. Um, and the story of Esther is an amazing story in Scripture. Um, it's about a woman who, she has this palace. Uh, she has this palace. She's bad. She got red bottoms all over the place. She's just <laughs> killing it in, in, in every way, right? And she's in power. Um, and then she realizes that her people are in jeopardy. Her people are in jeopardy of being wiped out. And in order for her to help save her people, she has to go to the king. But listen, it's a, it was illegal for her to go to the king. So she has to risk her life, risk her reputation, risk her palace, risk everything to save her people. Now, if you read the story of Esther like, uh, as a list of to-dos, then you're going to come away from it thinking, man, I have to risk it all. I got to risk it all for Jesus. I got to risk it all today on, on the train. I got to risk my reputation. I have to risk everything uh, uh, for Jesus or else God is not going to love me. Listen, that is a crushing and depressing way to read Scripture. But the better way to read Scripture is to see that there is a true and better Esther, one who was not just in something that was kind of like a palace, but was in the ultimate palace of heaven. And that he came down, at, not just at the risk of his own life, but at the cost of his own life to go to the king before us, for us, to win back his people. And that's Jesus Christ. See, only to the degree that we let scripture inform our lives like that, will we ever start to grow in love with the one who is at the center. And listen, that is going to change everything about your life. Growing in devotion to God it's not going to come from you feeling the weight of what you have to do, but knowing the extent to which God loves you and being reminded of that on a single daily basis. There's a story I have from years and years ago. I was playing basketball. I was in high school, and I was playing against some guys that were way better than I was, and they were going on to like major D1 colleges and, you know, a couple of those guys played in the NBA, and I remember playing against them in some tournament in the Bronx. In the first quarter, yo, these dudes took me apart. Like, I mean, it was bad. I was trying to cross over. They were ripping me, uh, talking junk. And um, at the end of the first quarter, I walked over to the bench, dejected, like, with my head held low. <laughs> and my, my dad was coaching that game. And he was like, yo, Jordan, they put their shoes on the same way you do. They lace them up the same way that you have to. And one of those players, one of those guys on the other team walked over to me realized that my coach was my father, went to my dad, didn't even talk to me, and says, oh, your son ain't bleep. Now, in that moment, uh, my dad just looked at me, and he, uh, in that moment, gave me the affirmation that only a father can give. and said, all right, show him who you are. For the next three quarters, I played the best game I've ever had in my life. Um, I was hitting hook shots from half court and throwing up. <laughs> Every time I tell a story, it gets better and better and better and better. <laughs> Maybe I didn't do all of that, but I played a whole, a whole lot better. Listen, I needed to be reminded not of tactics. I needed to be reminded that I was affirmed, I was loved, and somebody believed in me so I can keep on going in the face of adversity. See, our hearts condemn us. The world condemns us. 
And when we compare ourselves to other people, we, are, we feel condemned over and over and over again. And you need the direct thoughts of a father himself to you. You need the thoughts of God himself to you to keep, to keep you in the game, to keep your heart from wandering, to keep you focused, to keep you encouraged. And we find that in our scripture reading. Now, one of the things we're going to do together as a church, uh, you should have gotten it on your uh, program if you got it today, uh, if, you, if you came in and took a bulletin. Uh, but there'll certainly be uh, about a ton more copies outside. There's a scripture plan that we have together, and it's to read the Gospel of John together in 21 days. It's 21 chapters, 21 days. Um, and listen, we're going to do this together as a church. I want you guys to get turned on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram about this. Uh, I want us to do this together as a church. And listen, this is one of the best ways I know for us to be reminded of God's love for us. That's going to keep us going forward. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, help us to see that you are a good, good father. Even when our hearts condemn us, even when the world condemns us, even, uh, even when those accusations are true. God, help us to know that we are still welcomed in, not because of anything we have done, but based on your son, Jesus Christ. Father, the, the ways that we may be drifting, I, I, I pray that you would help us to see the ways that we're drifting, uh, God, and that we would um, today feel the impulse, uh, that you would draw us back, God. You would draw us back to yourself. Be with us, Father. Lead us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.